Hello and welcome to episode number 48 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dan DeFrancesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Max Bowie, editor of Inside Data Management. Max, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us today. I'm glad to be here, Dan. I'm very flattered. I've never been called a very special guest before. Oh, you're very special. Very, very <laughs> special. Uh, so, you know, if you've read anything in Waters, you know Max. He's, you know, been the premier writer for us for a long time, very much embedded in the industry and in the space, very well known. So we're very excited to have him on. And uh, the timing seemed perfect. The December issue of Inside Data Management has been put to bed. Um, so it seemed like a good time now to get Max on to talk about the changing of inside market data, which a lot of you guys are familiar with, I'm sure, inside reference data and kind of the shift. So I think that's a good place to start, Max. Talk to us a little bit about now the new entity inside data management and why uh, this whole thing occurred. Well, that's the thing. When we talk about the December issue of Inside Data Management, it's it's the very first issue of, of the publication. And although Inside Market Data has been around for a brand uh, since 1985, and Inside Reference Data has been around uh, as a standalone since 2006, uh, we felt the time was now right to uh, to combine those into into something new. There are some shifting trends in terms of readership, and that's what this really reflects. So just to reassure our readers, um, the InsideMarketData.com and the IRDOnline.com websites are not going anywhere. Those are going to stay exactly as they are. That's going to be the main source for news on a daily basis for the market data and reference data industries. What we are doing is, is taking away the legacy uh, weekly and monthly print newsletters and replacing those with a, a monthly glossy magazine that um, well, uh, readers of Waters are going to recognize uh, that it, it, it's based a lot on the format of Waters. It looks a little bit like Risk Magazine as well. So we're trying to take some of those, um, some of the better design elements from across the company and put them into something new. What really drove this was the recognition that p people will go to the websites and they will read news online. And if, you know, that's where they expect to be able to find breaking news. But when it comes to reading something like a, a 2500 word feature or profile you know your mobile phone is not the best place to do that uh, so people still value having uh, a print publication where they can get that kind of deeper insight uh, and so that's what that's what was really behind the move there so what's with something like this there's always it seems like whenever there's any type of reorg in any type of organization there's always a bit of confusion what's the biggest thing the biggest question you get asked that you want to answer or the biggest point of, point of confusion that you want to clear up for the listeners? Biggest thing so far is people who read who read my headline but not read anything beyond that and say, oh, Max, are you leaving? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> He's we're, not going we're anywhere. <laughs> we're change, no, you can't get rid of me that easy. We're, no, we're not, we're not changing um, the, the core format of what we're doing. Uh, we're just presenting it in a slightly different way and one that hopefully will be more useful to people as we go forward. Uh, the, the other thing I get asked is about subscriptions. And the good news on that is that if you are a subscriber to either inside market data or inside reference data, um, you're basically going to get access to the other brand 
for free um, until whenever your next renewal is because basically you know to give you access to all the content that's going into the new magazine um, you know it, it's only fair that we give people access to uh, the content from both websites so you're gonna get a little taste of maybe something you weren't necessarily familiar with beforehand but now you're gonna be able to enjoy it a little bit exactly or at least hopefully we're just making it easier for people to to get hold of what they need and considering that one of the trends that we've seen going on in the industry more and more and we can talk about this a little later is uh is the idea of you know consolidation and um enterprise wide data management and licensing whether you're talking about market data and reference data and how these things all play together you know it it, it makes more sense for us to be able to address this uh through a single platform rather than keeping rather than keeping things separate at arm's length yeah sure no i mean i think it's good to, to clear things up because i i know with any type of announcement people like to read the headline and they oh i'm not going to click on the link or see something on twitter and they think they know it's up and then before anything they start writing you or tweeting you what's the deal are you leaving what's what's happening is is everything being shut down no it's 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 like you said it's a consolidation um, yeah and, and now that we, we the, our london office just got their copies of the new magazine today so I think London subscribers should be getting theirs, if not already, then within the next few days. And uh, and over here in New York, we hope to see them within the next few days as well. I mean, it's printed in the UK and it gets shipped out of there. So there's a little lag for us, but I can't wait to see them hit our desks too. Yeah, no, exciting stuff. You talk about the December issue. I know the features have been out now this week. I believe they went live online yeah, for the December right. issues. That's right. Uh, but for and we'll throw links in onto the page so everyone can check them out. But for those of the the for the people that haven't been able to check them out yet, just quick thirty thousand foot view of the uh, the features in the December issue of I IDM. Cool. Our uh, our main uh, our main feature for the magazine. Is, uh, it was written by Joanna Wright, uh, and that's, uh, that's really looking at the, the uh, rating agency, the credit rating agency environment in Europe. Um, there's been uh, you know, a lot of concern about fees over there and transparency. And to its credit, um, ESMA is, uh, has been embarking on a new initiative that will come to fruition next year, where they're going to be looking into this. They're going to be scrutinizing things closely. Um, and I think the idea there is that uh, you know, they want to make sure that uh, the ratings agencies have a fair shot at, at you know, making a decent business out of things, but that also that you know, firms uh, don't get hit with any surprise price increases, and they can understand what they're licensing. Uh, you know, one of the complaints that we heard was not so much that uh, not so much about the headline fees people were being charged, but just that um, they didn't fully understand the reason for uh, why they were being charged, what they were being charged, and uh, and they said, well, you know, it's it's our duty as market data managers to be able to manage our costs. Uh, we you know, and basically what we want is an itemized bill. We we want to be able to understand the costs so that we can better manage them. So that's uh, that that's one of the articles in the first edition of that magazine. Uh, we also have a profile of Mark Hepsworth. And if you've been in the market data and reference data industry for any period of time, you will know Mark. He has been, uh, he's had senior positions at Comstock when it was owned by Standard & Poor's. Uh, when that was sold to Interactive Data, he came with it and uh, rose through the ranks there from the real-time business through the pricing and reference business until it was acquired by uh, Intercontinental Exchange. Um, he left the company last year, and it's kind of interesting uh, reading this story, which was uh, by Joanna Wright and uh, Johan Faulkner, in that he expected to be able to take some time off, relax a little bit, 
and, uh, and then kind of out of the blue got this offer to come and run Asset Control, which uh, again, people who know the industry will will know this name as one of the you know one of the first companies to establish itself in the ent- enterprise data management space. Winner of an AFTA. Exactly, exactly. Winner of many awards over the years, and um, you know I think what Mark is trying to do there is uh, is reestablish it in a, in a in a part of the industry that has uh, seen a lot more competition over recent years. And uh, you know to bring their core focus out again, uh, and help build it into uh, up to bigger and better things. Certainly, we can't uh, we can't think of anyone better for that job. We wish him every success there. Um, one of the other stories we uh, people will probably be familiar with the name Tim Borges Murray, a former uh, <laughs> oh, of course, Waters reporter. TBM. He's back. He's back. <laughs> um, not full time, sadly, but you're a fa- if you're out there, TBM, we're very grateful to you. Tim, uh, Tim's going to do some freelance for us. His first article is in the December issue, and that was discussing, discuss, excuse me, discussing <laughs> the the trend of not disintermediation as we saw in in years gone by, but more uh, intermediation. Uh, firms, especially on the buy side, um, wanting providers of their core platforms to manage their data relationships to a large degree. Rather than having a bunch of rela- direct relationships with data providers, they say, you know, you know, so you want us to go over here, buy the source of data, buy it, implement that, and then plug it into, you know, whatever, Eagle, Charles River, whatever it is that we're using. You know, and they've been going to these companies and saying, can you just do that for us? You know, it, it, data's gonna be going into your platform anyway. Can you manage that relationship and just give us a, an end-to-end enterprise solution? And you know we've been seeing quite a bit of traction for that, and that's something uh, that's something that's a good read as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely interesting pieces, kind of uh, with the overarching theme of kind of the continuation, the the, the trends that we're seeing in in the data space. I think uh, that I find it one of the more quickly evolving areas of all financial services in terms of kind of the the offerings that are, how are changing and how kind of firms are, are approaching their data management. Um, but it's interesting kind of with, with Tim and uh, kind of when you think you're out and then they just drag you back in, they just pull you back in always, you end up coming back. Um, let's look a little bit forward looking now at January with the January feature, specifically yours. I know it's around management of alternative data right or d- data sets yeah yeah the one uh, the, the the feature i'm working on for january is is looking at the kind of alternative side of alternative data we've uh, you know over the past five years let's say you know we've seen the emergence of all these new data types uh events data unstructured textual data um, everything all the way up to things like satellite imagery, really, really exciting areas that can give people a, a, a real advantage. And the, the imagery one is a great one because, you know, it, it's evolved from just being able to look at uh, parking lots and figure out how many people are perhaps going into a store to being able to use that to analyze like same store sales, uh, competitor stores, and predict what a company's financial results might be before. Um, before they actually announce them on a quarterly basis. It's gone from that, you know, to be people being able to fly over construction projects and use that to extrapolate demand for uh, for steel or oil. 
But the key thing for me is, well, you get value from that by being able to tie it into other data sets. So if you're looking at like a parking lot, what you really want to know is where people are spending their money as well. So you're looking for uh, RFID data or you're looking for uh, anonymized geolocation data from people's mobile phones. And at the same time, you've got to tie that back into, well, a company's, a company's share price, any established research reports about it, uh, anything that speaks to a company's executive makeup and what effect their comments have on it. So there's this plethora of data from figures and tables to signals to, uh, to text data from news or, or other kinds of reports all the way up to images. And you've got to find a way to pull this all together. You've got to find a way to basically assign everything a numerical value and tie them together in a way that's going to make sense. And while we've seen this emergent of really exciting data sets, uh, what I'm trying to get to the bottom is how easy and difficult it is to tie all that together and how successful people are, are, are being in actually making it happen. Um, we, uh, I remember maybe half a dozen years ago at a conference in Asia, there was one speaker who was, um, who was then talking about what was, what was at the time the emergence of newsflow algorithms. And he was quite frank and he said, you know, we built this thing and it was, it was great, it was incredibly insightful, but the cost of managing the data and pulling it all in, licensing what we need and everything else, the cost outweighed the gain that we got. Now, that seems to have shifted uh, and, and people are looking at all these new areas, but, um, it, but it's still a huge information management process to be able to pull all that together uh, and make it work together. And so what I'm looking at is really whether that can be done with existing infrastructures, whether you have to create something completely new, whether you have side-by-side -side data management infrastructures running alongside each other, just like when we first uh, saw the emergence of low latency data, you'd have people with like a traditional data management platform from, from Thomson Reuters or then Telerate, you know, and at the same time, certain desks or groups would have this Wombat platform that they were building up alongside it. And, you know, that all means, um, you know, it means increased complexity and it means increased costs at a time when firms, generally speaking, are trying to reduce that. Yeah, I think it's a extremely interesting topic. It's extremely, um, you know, on point in terms of what firms are facing. We hear all the time about, you know, uh, more so because we don't focus as in-depth at what with on, on my side and the data, looking at the analytics kind of, but it's the same thing around the management of, you have the availability you have it's possible to get all this information but if you can't properly manage it then then what's the point you know you could have a race car that can go 200 miles an hour but if the speed limit in your neighborhood's 30 miles an hour and everybody drives 30 miles an hour what's the point you know so it's an interesting kind of uh cause and kind of uh, effect or kind of the pros and cons of it like you said outweighing you know the amount of cost that we're gonna have to put in to manage this you know this massive amount of data and this specific alternative type of data um yeah, I mean, what so 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 far during your reporting, what's been maybe the most interesting thing that's come about it, or the most surprising thing um, from the reporting that you've done so far on kind of how these firms are choosing to manage it? Anything that popped out that you maybe you know you you you'd never seen before? Aside from the sheer diversity of, of things that firms are actually considering as, as new types of data, um, I think it's really the I mean, you know at the moment. People are saying that this uh, this is going to fall under the areas of big data 
and data science and you will need new aspects of infrastructure but more likely than not those would be the ones that you would ultimately be moving to going forward that you know when we're talking about things like uh, unstructured NoSQL databases uh, things that can accommodate new types of data and can support the different types of correlations and analysis that you need to draw between them and um, to pick up on your analogy uh, the way I see it it's like building an uh, it's like building an engine for an f1 car that can go 200 miles an hour but you know um, well you got to build the body you got to build all these individual aerodynamic components you got to make sure that your tires at the optimal level if you follow Formula One you'll know that you know the cars have three sets of three different compounds of tires to choose from for each race and they're mandated to use two so you know the burden then is we got this wonderful engine or data set um, you know but we've really got to make sure that everything around it is functioning in such a way together as a whole that we get the best out of it you put a 200 mile an hour engine in in a car with the wrong tires with awful aerodynamics and you, you know, you're going to be back of the pack every time. See, that's why that's why you're the best at what you do. Because you take something like data data management, which you know people would say, oh, I don't, you know, it is what it is. And you're talking about Formula One. You're talking about you're giving race car analogies. That's why you're the king, Max. That's really why you're, <laughs> that's why you're the best. And we should mention. Um, if you want the opportunity to work with such a great man, you guys are are hiring right now. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, we're hiring. We got uh, we got the new magazine up and underway. Uh, we uh, we need more people. Um, so if uh, if there's anyone out there who's listening who, uh, who who knows journalists they worked with over the years who have impressed them, uh, you know, please send them our way. We're always on the lookout for good people, uh, be they uh, be they full time or potential freelancers. Um, yeah. All right, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. See the the F one form uh, I see, I see analogy, the analogy right there. Yeah. I'm sticking with it. We're gonna switch gears here and uh, talk about something you shouldn't do while driving an F1 car, which is drinking, uh, a favorite pastime of mine. I know you're an enjoyer of an alcoholic beverage, as is Anthony, my usual co-host. Holiday times, people are, you know, have maybe particular beverages they like. For the listeners out there, they're maybe wondering for their Hanukkah, their Christmas, their New Year's celebrations, what's a, what's a, good, what's a good concoction to, to make up when you got the family, the friends over, and you're, you're entertaining or you're at a party? Now, I love experimenting with cocktails. Um, however, people do not trust me. When I put these things together <laughs> in a glass and say, trust me, this is beautiful, they look at it and like uh, they say, here, here is a wonderful fall cocktail. Um, eggnog and uh, pumpkin spice liqueur. Now, when you put this together, it looks like the grease that comes off of a pizza <laughs> after a couple of hours. But I swear to you, it is delicious. Um, my Christmas cocktails would be I'm here's one I'm going to call the snowball, uh, which is going to be uh, two ounces Bacardi rum, uh, one ounce Bailey's cream liqueur, a squirt of whipped cream from one of those, you know, little canisters, mm -hmm. and you sprinkle on the top uh, desiccated coconut. Beautiful. Wow. Uh, and then I'm going to do a twist twist on a Manhattan because every Christmas cocktail should basically have whiskey. <laughs> it's true. So you like that. So you're going to do um, you're going to do two parts rye whiskey. Uh, one part sweet vermouth, one part dry vermouth, uh, and a splash of uh, splash of simple syrup, garnished with a lemon float, and there you go. Wow, 
wow, I'm thirsty. I mean, it's only it's only it's not even one o'clock yet, and I'm ready to uh, to break out the bar and, and get this going. Where do you you mentioned up top? Where do you fall on eggnog? Uh, I love eggnog. I love eggnog. I love it on its own, and I love it. You want to put whiskey in eggnog? You want to put anything else in eggnog? You can you can play with eggnog as much as you like. Do you have a uh, uh, a favorite? Uh, brand or where where, how, where do you get your how do you get your eggnog what do you do for your eggnog well it's very hard to track down a cow that has been fed vanilla and cinnamon <laughs> all through the year that's the only way you can get fresh eggnog you're gonna go and uh, milk the milk the nog out of them <laughs> no uh, it, it does it really doesn't matter what brand you use okay all right well I, you know I'm just I'm I'm a rookie I, I I'm not a big purveyor drinker of eggnog but you know just curious I didn't know if there was you know a leader in the ho- in the house um, in terms of on the beer side. Any specific beers you're a big fan of for, you know, not just necessarily for the holiday, but for, you know, like a good winter winter ale that really kind of maybe you talk about your favorite and then maybe something that maybe is a little bit more commercial because I know you get far and wide all different types of beverages, but maybe something that the local listener could get maybe at their not necessarily a Dwayne Reed, but a, um, you know, maybe a, a, a shop they might find in, you know, Williamsburg or the Upper East Side or whatnot. Hmm. Um I'm fortunate enough that I live in Astoria, and uh, Astoria, que- well, Queens is apparently the most diverse municipality in the world in terms of uh, people from different countries, different races, different languages. I can walk down the street there and hear uh, accents uh, from, from countries I've, I've never even heard of, all the way through to accents that I recognize that that must be someone who lived down the road from me in England. <laughs> um, and as a result, uh, there are plenty of stores there that stock uh, a wide variety of stuff, including a good selection of British beers. Now, if I'm going to recommend anything, it's going to be uh, Hobgoblin from Witchwood Brewery, which is a dark, warming ale. Please don't chill it. Serve it at room temperature, and the flavors will all come out. They're absolutely wonderful. If you're lucky enough to find uh, something by Shepherd Neem, which is uh, Britain's oldest brewery, which is based in Faversham in Kent, um, those are absolutely wonderful. The, uh, the, the main brands there are, are Spitfire and Bishop's Finger, uh, and they're, they're uh, absolutely beautiful. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the U.S., I mean, I've, I've got to say, say in terms of winter's warmer, you can't go wrong with something from uh, Moylan's in San Rafael, just up the road from my in-laws. Um, but uh, the, if, if, like me, you find uh, some of the U.S. beers are a little dense, a little heavy. Um, I, I tried something out recently, and, and you can try this at home, uh, which is to make a Cran Shan, which is uh, <laughs> take take your favorite beer, preferably on the lighter side, like a Pilsner, uh, fill it, you know, the glass half to two thirds according to your taste, and then top it up with uh, a seasonal flavor that Canada Dry have come out with, which is a ginger ale um, with cranberry. Uh, it's bright pink, and again, this is something where you're going to call me crazy, <laughs> but but trust me, you you mix in a third to a half of the glass of that, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. It's it's a lighter drink; it'll keep everybody happy. And uh, in addition, uh, there's a por- portion of the proceeds from the sale of each bottle go to the Salvation Army, so uh, you can also count yourself as doing a good deed. Look at that! You're you're helping people on your drinking. What could be better? That's I, you had me up until though. 
the drinking the the ale at the room temperature. I know that's I know that's a thing, and that's what the you know the the fancy beer snobs. I don't want to call you a beer snob, but the people that you know really know the alcohol enjoy. But it's tough, man, to drink a, a pint or drink a, a whole thing room temperature. That's that's a tough pill to swallow. No pun intended. I don't <laughs> know. Well, th- there's the thing. There are plenty of beers where where chilling them really improves the flavor, and then there are others where it kills a lot of those flavors. And the br- the, the British ones, um, you know, are served at room temperature, I suppose, because we're uh, because we didn't used to have refrigeration, but but also because they generally they genuinely do taste better that way. Uh, if you can't get hold of British beers and you want to try this out, then I can also recommend a, a trip to Rockaway Brewing in Long Island City, uh, right uh, just a few blocks in from where the Pepsi Cola sign is on that side of the river. They produce some uh, some really beautiful beers and perhaps uh, perhaps some of the closest that I've ever found to like the, the traditional English ESB bitters. A wealth of data knowledge, a wealth of alcohol knowledge. He's got everything. Uh, Max, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, it was great. We'd love to like have you on again, but uh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's my pleasure. Um, I want to wish everyone a very happy, healthy holiday season. And obviously, uh, please please use your data and drink responsibly. (laughs) Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to tune back in next Thursday.